أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحانك اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم وعنده مفاتح الغيب لا يعلمها إلا هو ويعلم ما في البر والبحر وما تسقط من ورقة إلا يعلمها ولا حبة في ظلمات الأرض ولا رطب ولا يابس إلا في كتاب مبين <coughs> So the last time we, we met um, we were in the story of Sidna Yusuf alayhi salam so we're going to continue that and we left off when uh, Sayyidina Yusuf السلام, had entered into the prison and we spoke about all of that and how one of the gifts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had, been, had given uh, Joseph was the ability to read dreams <coughs> and interpret the dreams. So in the prison with him were these two young men that were also incarcerated and because Yusuf السلام, he was very handsome we mentioned that and he's obviously innocent <coughs> of any you know crime of course so he looked rather odd in prison he didn't look like the rest of the people he didn't look like he belonged so these two guys they saw him and they saw that there was something you know distinct about him and they they saw that he looked like a good person so they said you know you look like a good person and we have these dreams and and you know, you know, we wanted to share that with you. So Yusuf salam, he, t- he takes this as an opportunity and he teaches them a little bit about uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how the world works and you know, qadr and these type of things. And then he interprets the g- dreams. And the, the upshot is that one person was going to be executed and that or crucified and then one person was going to be free. So the person that was going to be free, uh, Yusuf salam, he says, you know, remember me when you get out. Uh, mention my name, you know, in these circles, and 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 uh, you know, don't forget me. <clears throat> so of course, the man gets out; he forgets. So Yusuf alayhi he remains in jail for several years, and then several years pass, and then the man that was freed, he's in the court of the of the of the pharaoh, and the pharaoh he has a reoccurring dream, and it's very vivid. <clears throat> Sometimes you have a dream and you, at the time of the dream you think it's very intense and then when you wake up, like a few moments pass and you kind of you forget about it. But sometimes you have a dream and it really shakes you, but then you have the same dream over and over again. Maybe a couple nights, three nights, maybe it's the same dream that appears periodically throughout your life at different times. You know, we have different dreams. And um, the interesting thing you know, about the dreams is that even though part of our body sleeps, part of our conscious sleeps, our subconscious obviously is still working because we're still, you know, blood is still flowing and the heart is still pumping and so we're still alive. So something is happening. So there's a lot that gets translated to your conscious through this dream um, affair. And sometimes you don't have any dreams at all. Um, and... Some people are, as I mentioned last time, some people are gifted, they know how to interpret dreams. Some people, they just can't interpret dreams. And uh, you should, you know, 
you should think about, about the dreams that you have, but you should not read necessarily too much into them unless it's something that's very alarming or something that's just very profound that, you know, when you wake up, you're like, that's not a normal dream. That's definitely something special. Anyway, <clears throat> so the man who was freed, he's in the court of the Pharaoh and he's like his servant. He like serves him food. He serves him wine, you know, these kind of things. So the Pharaoh, he's disturbed because he has this weird dream. You know, uh, animals eating other animals, skinny animals eating fat animals, and seven of this and seven of that. And it's just very weird. The dream is very weird because there's specific amount of numbers and all of these animals and over and over again. So he's asking every day, he asks people about his dream. And everyone tells him, you know, it's just a dream. It's, it's not a big deal. One night, two nights, three nights, several nights. And then finally, the man that's serving the, the Pharaoh, he, re- he remembers his own uh, experience with dreams and Yusuf salam, And he says, I know somebody that can interpret these dreams. <clears throat> so the Pharaoh says, good, go send for this person. So they send, you know, the man goes with the, you know, maybe entourage of the, of the Pharaoh and they go to the prison. And uh, he tells Yusuf salam, the story. You know, the Pharaoh, he's had this reoccurring dream. It, you know, this is what he's seeing. <clears throat> Can you tell us what this dream is about? So Yusuf salam, he says, yes, this dream is a foretelling of what is going to come in Egypt. That there will be seven good years in which the agricultural output will be plentiful. The grain will be great, the harvest will be great for seven years. And after that, there will be seven years in which there will be almost like a famine, in which the opposite. And the point of the dream is it's a wake-up call for the you know, administration or the government <coughs> to help organize things that they save in the seven years that are coming, that which will last them for 14 years, these positive seven years and the, and the years to come. So they go back and they tell Yusuf uh, they go back and they tell the Pharaoh and everything. So, you know, this is like an amazing, uh, you know, intelligence basically. So the Pharaoh is very happy. So he says, oh, bring this guy. I want him with me. So they go back to Yusuf salam, and then Yusuf, he uses this opportunity and he says, okay, go back and find out about my reputation. What, what are people saying about me before I decide if I'm going to come out of this sort of like Khalwa, uh, this uh, seclusion period that I'm in. What, go find out about me. So they go back and they find out that Yusuf's name salam, is cleared. That Zulaikha, the wife of the Aziz, she admitted that she was wrong and Yusuf was innocent. And um, the Aziz you know, has forgiven his wife and, and all of the women and all of the, the socialites of that, of that area, they all know the truth that Yusuf salam, was wronged and he's wrongly imprisoned and his reputation is now clear so Yusuf salam, he agrees to go out of prison and join the Pharaoh to help him in this situation this the story of, this part of the story of Yusuf salam, it teaches us it teaches many things but one of the things that sticks out is it talks about the importance of reputation and that this is also something that the Prophet ﷺ also was concerned about. The Prophet Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ, he was concerned about what people would say about him, what people would say about his community, what people would say about his family, what people would say about the believers. So he was very careful 
that he didn't, this doesn't mean that he did things only to please people. No, he, he had to say the truth, he had to teach, he had to, you know, establish what was right, so on and so forth. But he was also careful that there would be no confusion about certain things. Like, for example, one time the Prophet ﷺ was out at night with his wife. But it was late at night and it wasn't a full moon. So, you know, it's dark. You can't see anything. There's no like light in the sky or anything like that. <coughs> and he passed by some of the Sahaba. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, you know, I'm with my wife, you know, Aisha. So why would he do something like that? I mean, would anyone doubt that the Prophet ﷺ was with, with somebody other than his wife? No, but he wants to be absolutely clear that there are no, you know, there is no uh, secrecy when it comes to matters of faith. There's no like secret part of Islam that only we know about and other people outside don't know about. There's no such thing like that. Islam is transparent. Faith is transparent. So Sayyidina Muhammad was concerned about his reputation. He didn't kill or incarcerate the munafiqun, for example. Because he said in the future they will say that I killed my companions. Because the munafiqun outwardly they said that they were the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. But inwardly, secretly, they harbored disbelief. And they worked against the people of Medina. And they colluded with the enemy and, and we talked about all of this during the seerah. So Yusuf ﷺ, he also teaches us this lesson about the importance of reputation. He would have rather, he rather uh, was placed in jail wrongfully, then deal with this misconception, then deal with these rumors. He said that jail, being in jail, rotting in jail, is better than having to deal with this qil waqal, you know, he said, she said type of situation. And it's worth us pondering on this a bit and, and, and reflecting on how, what this means in our context. Because... Now we have more capacity than ever to communicate with each other, with friends, with anybody who will listen. <coughs> Anyone has like a pulpit. Anyone has a, a platform that they can speak, that they can reach people, that they can talk. And uh, it, it, it seems to me the more and more, maybe I need to switch the people that are on my social media, but it, I feel that more, every month, it gets more and more negative, more and more sour, more and more exposing and, and criticizing and critiquing. And then you find yourself exhausted, consuming all of this nonsense. And then when you, when you sit back and you pause, you're like, this is useless. It's all, it's all useless stuff. I mean, 90% of it is useless. So it's worth us, <clears throat> it's worth us, it's worth us reflecting on how we consume information, how we spread information, how we deal with one another, how we deal with our community, with our friends, with our colleagues at work, uh, and keeping in mind the importance of somebody's reputation. It's very hard to build a good reputation, and it's very easy to destroy a reputation. You could work years. People can work years building up their credentials, building up their CV, building up their achievements. They will spend hundreds and thousands of dollars getting people to think of them and their brand in a certain way to associate certain values and certain words with their name or with their company's name or, or, or with their brand and if one thing one problem uh, malfunction defect uh, recall scandal one thing can destroy all of that can destroy that entire 
reputation. And in our own you know, American culture, we have multiple, I mean, we're living in that right now, many, many examples. So the reputation, your reputation is you. It's, it's what you, who you are, your values, your, your beliefs, your achievements, and you have to protect that, all of us, and we have to protect the reputation of, of one another. So Yusuf salam, even though he's like in the zone now, he just gave this huge piece of information to the Fir'aun. He's going to save Egypt. Because, because this is a big, this is a strategic problem now. And he has the uh, Nabuwa, he has the ability to read the dream, and he also is smart. So he's going to come out and he's going to run the show, right? He's in the zone. He, he, he could have, but what's more important than that, what are, what are they saying about me? Because that's what matters. My name is what matters. salam. So alhamdulillah, his name is cleared. So Yusuf gets out. Okay, so now he's, he's uh, with the Fir'aun. And it's at this moment <clears throat> that he suggests to the Fir'aun, he's like, put me in charge of the, you know, the food supply uh, and like the secretary of agriculture. You know, but, but it's like, for all intents and purposes, like the treasury and defense, because you know this, this was an agricultural society, so it's not just some second tier. This is like you know very high government position, because he knew that because he understood the dream, <coughs> because he was wise and 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 fair-minded, and he was aided by this Nabuwa, he he offered his services to help out. So for the next several years, Yusuf alayhi salam is building this like food uh, storage program and rationing program that in the next seven years they are conserving the food so that when the famine hits after seven years, for the following seven years they will have enough to feed everybody. So for these seven years, Yusuf's the man. And you know there are many, some, somebody asked about Zulaikha, there are some you know, stories that, that Aziz passed away and that Yusuf married Zulaikha. Others say that he married somebody else. Really not important. It doesn't change the story. But in these seven years, Yusuf becomes powerful in the worldly sense. Now he has position, he has money, he has stature. He is really like a prince of, of Egypt. Even though he's not Egyptian, he's Hebrew. You know, he's the son of Yaqub salam. You know, he's an Israelite. But he, he is so useful that he is at the highest position possible. And then things turn even more in the story of Yusuf salam, is when we reach year 8 after this period, so maybe Yusuf is like now in his mid-30s. Uh, and there's no exact times, you know, in these things, but just so you get a sense that he's, you know, uh, maturing, <clears throat> that uh, when we hit year 8, that's when the famine starts. And the tough times happen. And now they have to actually carry out this food rationing program. And it was during... <coughs> it was during one of these moments that the brothers of Yusuf salam end up coming to Egypt... Because they need also food, because they're also part of the, the famine has also affected them. So they show up minus 
Yusuf's brothers. Remember I said Yusuf had a brother from the same mother, Benjamin, Benjamin. And because Yusuf has now disappeared all of these years, Yaqub is very sad, is very upset, so he's very protective of Benjamin. So Benjamin doesn't move, doesn't leave, just sort of stays at home. So all of the rest of Yusuf's brothers, they go to Egypt to receive you know, this, uh, the food staple that they're supposed to get per this program. And they have to do this every year. Because there's no, you know, there's no uh, substance or there's no agricultural growth outside of what's been stored. So when Yusuf salam, he sees his brothers, he recognizes of course that these are his brothers. But because Yusuf has undergone this unbelievable change, they do not recognize him at all. Because he looks Egyptian, he's dressed in whatever the Egyptians wore, he looked like he was a minister of the government, you know, he's probably... Uh, you know, decked out in all of this like fancy clothing and you know, these are people that come from like the, the boonies, you know, and this is like the city. So they, they, don't, re- they don't even think that this would be Yusuf alayhi but Yusuf alayhi he, he recognizes them. So as he's distributing <coughs> or overseeing the distribution of the food, he asks them, he starts to converse with them. You know, he's, he's trying to ease his way into this relationship. And he finds out, obviously he knows, but he finds out and he makes them say, that they had left a brother behind. So Yusuf says, okay, well if you guys want food next year, it's very important that you bring your brother with you. Meaning his brother, Benjamin. He said, if you don't bring him, he's, he's basically hinting, if you don't bring him with you, then there's going to be no, you're not going to get your, uh, your food. And on the way out, he orders one of his people, Yusuf orders one of his people to put some of the stuff that they left back in their bags <clears throat> so that when they would go back and they open their, the food they see that, that they uh, that they had maybe it was money that was they didn't pay all the money or something you know they're different tafsirs but the point is is that when they see it they will remember this incident they will remember this promise that they have to bring Benjamin back the next year so see Yusuf is playing it very slow and then the next year comes and then the brothers, they tell their father, they're like, look, you have to let uh, Benjamin come with us. And if he doesn't, we're not going to get food. And obviously there's this now tension <coughs> because Yaqub is very fearful because they, he, you know, they have taken Yusuf before. So he makes them promise in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they're going to protect him and, and things like that. And to be really, really thorough, he says, as you enter in the city, you, know, you split up in different groups. Because they were like 12, 11, 12 brothers. MashaAllah. So he says, you know, go and from, enter the city from different ways. So you don't all go together. So you look like you're different families. He's very concerned about his, his children. So they go. Same, you know, kind of incident happens. And Yusuf, he finds a way of revealing himself to his brother Benjamin. So now Benjamin knows that this is his brother Yusuf. Alayhi salam. And as they are leaving, there's like some like, you know, silverware or like pitcher or measuring cup or whatever, something that belongs to the court that Yusuf places or has placed in the, in the, the, the suitcase, the luggage, if you will, of Benjamin. And as they are leaving, like they hear this big announcement, you know, think of, I mean, obviously there's no microphone, in, but think about like an overhead like announcement, like at the airport or something. You know, everybody stop because, you know, some, something has been stolen from the court. You know, like when you buy clothes and they have that little thing 
and the clothing that beeps when you walk out. Think of it like something like that. You know, he's leaving, and then like there's an alarm sounds. You've stolen something, so they block all the doors, and they're opening every. They're you know they're uh, they're frisking everyone. They're opening everything. You know, secondary screening, and then they open Benjamin's thing. But Benjamin knows, you know, that he's going to get caught. And then Yusuf finds the thing, and he said, "Oh, he has to stay with us." Yeah, thank you. You guys can go back now. So now this is a disaster for, for Yusuf's brothers because <laughs> they lost Yusuf and now they promised their father that they're not going to lose Benjamin and, and now they've lost Benjamin. Okay, so they go back and they're like pleading with their father. They're telling him what happened. And Yaqub alayhi salam, he's so overcome with grief. You know, Allah tells us that he becomes blind from the crying. So his like, eyes are like blinded from the sorrow and from the crying. And he orders his, his sons to go back to search for both Benjamin and his brother Yusuf. Because remember in the beginning of the story, Yusuf salam, he revealed this dream that he had to his father. And his father told him, you know, explained to him that this means you will become, this is a sign of prophethood. <coughs> so don't tell anyone. And because of this, Yaqub knows salam, that this, is, this dream, that this vision that Yusuf had will happen. So he believes and he knows with certainty that his son is alive. But he doesn't know how or where or when he's going to see him or if he's going to see him or anything like that. So he sends his sons back. Sons go back to Egypt for a third time. And this is when Yusuf reveals himself to his brothers. All of them. Now that he has almost in this very elaborate scheme, he has united the family. He has demonstrated that he has the ability to exact you know, revenge, but he doesn't and he forgives. Right? And this, the story of Yusuf is also a story of forgiveness. Because any one of us, I mean myself first and foremost, if I was in that situation, that my forgiveness would not be the first thing on my mind. Which is maybe why we're not in these important positions. Because, you know, sometimes it can cloud your judgment. But despite the ability to do something, that's when real restraint shows. You know, when you, when you are able to do something wrong and you don't do it, that's what real restraint is. It's easy to be like good when we're in the mosque together. Or like it's easy to be good when we're in Ramadan or if you go like on like Umrah or Hajj or something like that. That's easy. The hard part is when you're by yourself and you're back into your day-to-day life. That's when you can test, have I really been changed or am I just the same? All of us, I'm all, we're all the same, right? We all have these struggles. So this story, look at this unbelievable scheme. Just look at the, the arc of the story of, of Joseph salam. That now he has all of this power, all of this wealth. I mean, he could have had them incinerated just like that. No one would have said anything. But he brings them together and then he forgives them after revealing that he is Yusuf salam. That's real, real power. And then he, he calls for his parents uh, and then they come, and, and that's really the conclusion of the story. Uh, and most likely, Yaqub lived the final years of his life with Yusuf, and that he asked that when he dies, that he would be buried next to his, you know, Abraham and Isaac, which is how he ends up back in the, you know, the Sham, Palestine, you know, type of region. And I believe there's a grave uh, for Yaqub in, in the West Bank, I believe. Does anyone know? I think so. And then Yusuf alayhi salam, he, he, he he's, you know, lives this like celebrated life uh, for the rest of his life. 
Now, there's one, one thing I forgot to mention. <clears throat> uh, I wanted to just go back to for a second, which was before Yusuf leaves the prison and he asks about his reputation, there's this very important part of the story when Zulaikha, the wife of the Aziz, she says, you know, uh, She says, you know, now the truth is going to come out. I'm the one that tried to seduce him. He didn't try to seduce me. And in this discussion, Yusuf السلام, he says something very important. He says, this indeed was the, the, the result of a nafsul ammara bisu. It was yourself, the nafs, that calls to bad actions, that caused you to do all of these things. And we have, and I don't want to spend too much time on this now, we can talk about it some other time in detail. Uh, and I've written something recently about this for those that are interested. But we have a very elaborate scheme, like you can think of it as like Islamic psychology. Scheme of, of what the different levels of the nafs are and what they mean. So even though we're the same people, even though it's the same Zulaikha, but her nafs now is different. She's made tawbah. Whereas before, the mic is out. <clears throat> is that a battery thing? I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely the light's out completely. Fine, that's fine. It's probably Tarif's fault. He gave the khutbah was too long. <coughs> okay, so. Even though she's the same person, she, her nafs is different, her state is different. So before, she was inside, her nafs was calling her to do something wrong. Now her nafs was repenting, or feeling bad. And all of these levels, the ulama, they have, they have different names. And all of these names are taken from the Qur'an. So this is like the lowest level of the self. And nafs al-ammara and then there's a nafs al-lawama, the, the nafs yourself that blames you for doing something wrong. And so on and so forth. And the whole, uh, the whole science and the whole art of tasawwuf is about this subject. is about how does one go from this low level of the nafs to a higher level of the nafs. And the different paths and the different ulama and the different dhikr and all of these things that we have in our tradition, they're just different formulas for... for Addressing this one problem That even though we're the same on the outside On the inside we're different That our nafs, our self Can sometimes express itself dis- differently And this is why Yusuf salam, forgives Because his nafs is at the highest level Because he's a prophet He's a man of God salam. He's not concerned about his ego He just wants to bring his family together again And carry out what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wherever Allah placed him He's going to do the best that he can his brothers, on the other hand, they try to kill him in the beginning. And now they're repentant. So even though on the outside we're the same, we have a journey on the inside that we can go through and we can fluctuate back and forth, back and forth. And then maybe when we're done with Qisas <coughs> al-Anbiya, maybe we can spend a little bit more time talking about that. But this is one of the times in the Qur'an in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this issue that the nafs can be you know, has a certain name. And you'll find out later in the Qur'an it has different names. 
So I want people to know, know about this. So when you read the Quran, you understand nafs al-mulhima, nafs al-radiya, nafs al-mutma'inna, and nafs al-lawa. All of these different levels of the nafs all have different characteristics, different um, uh, traits, different um, compositions, different ways of, of dealing with them, so on and so forth. <clears throat> so this is the story of Yusuf salam. Any questions before we go on? Yeah. Some, some of the Mufassirun say that they married, that by the time Yusuf came out of prison, uh, the Aziz, Zulaikha's husband, had passed, and they didn't have any children. Uh, and uh, that she wed Yusuf. Some some of the Mufassirun say that, but um, and some of them say that she, he just married somebody else. But but she is essentially forgiven. You know, she admits the mistake and she is forgiven for for this. Yeah. Yeah, I can share it with you for those that are interested, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought about that too. I think, he, so he must have been young. Uh, because by the time he enters into the prison, he, the, the signs of the Nabuwa are there. That he did not say inshallah. Uh, he's impossible. The, the man didn't, yeah, the, the, well, the, the verse says that the shaitan caused the man that was freed to forget. forget. Yeah. Because he didn't. Because he didn't, yeah, there was no inshallah. But he's also free. I mean, he's, that last thing on his mind when he left prison was uh, this promise that he made. You know. He's thinking that he's. What is the highest level of nafs? An nafs النفس الأمارة بالسوء النفس اللوامة النفس الملهمة النفس الراضية النفس المرضية النفس المطمئنة النفس الكاملة النفس الأمارة بالسوء the nafs yourself that calls to bad actions النفس what did I say a nafs al-lawama, astaghfirullahaladzim, is the, naf, the blameworthy nafs. It, it, you, you, you still do something bad, but you feel bad when you do it. A nafs al-amara bisu, nafs al-lawama, a nafs al-mulhima, it's inspired. Radiya, murdiya, the self-pleasing, and then the self-found pleasing. النفس المطمئنة the serene self النفس الكاملة the complete نفس and then the ulama pair with each نفس one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that help address the problems of that نفس so that you go to the next level and there are different I mean there are different ways but you know the way that we were taught 
For example, is La ilaha illallah for a nafs al amara bisu. La ilaha illallah, Allah huwa, la ilaha illallah huwa, hay qayyum haq qahar. Each one of these names corresponds to one of those levels of nafs. Other ulama, they say, no, there are other names, there are no different, they're all the ijtihad of the ulama. There's no like hadith that says, this nafs you do this, this is the experience of the Muslims. And this is why we have different ways of arriving at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people say, no, the nafs really are just three kinds. And to address the three kinds, you do uh, istighfar, salah uh, al-Nabi, la ilaha illallah. You do this in the morning, you do this in the evening, and this helps address these three problems. The, the, the important thing for us to take away <clears throat> is that the, the two things is that one, we can be different on the inside, and two, there's a way to get better at the inside. We can't just be like, well, this is the way I am. No, we have to try to be better. And the way we get better is through dhikr, through remembrance, and through fiqh, through contemplation uh, of, of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are ways then, there are ways of, the, you know, programs of doing this. And this is what tasawwuf is. It's the different program of how you arrive at that level. I, I, maybe if you read the article, if you're interested, you'll, you get it. It's just a general overview, and then I, there are some resources that I mentioned if people want to know more details. <clears throat> yeah, it's I, I, online. Okay, good. So there's a difference between somebody picks on you or somebody doesn't like the way you dress or your, your name or, or something silly like that. That you can't, you, know, you can't really affect. There's a difference between that and then, then somebody making up a whole story about you of like some crime that you committed that you didn't commit. That, you know, you, I don't know, I saw you in the mall last night and you were like shoplifting or something like that. And I go around and I just tell all your friends and... You know, I make all this big post and I put up this WordPress website and I said, what's your name? Emil. And I said, Emil uh, was shoplifting. Did you guys know I saw Emil last night? She, was, she stole something from the mall. And then everyone starts whispering. That we have to address because there's no, uh, there is no, fr- there's no part of that that's true at all. You can't control, yes, so that's why Yusuf said, okay, I'll just leave. Because I can't, you know, I can't, if somebody's going to make up something about me that I didn't do, I, I, I'll, I'll leave it. But when he was given the opportunity to come back to the community, he said, well, I want to address it. So yes, sometimes you have to let it pass. But my point is, is that if there's something that you can do about it, you, you should address it. Because you don't want people saying something about you that's not true at all or that's, Horrendous or like some horrible, you know, made up, you know, like slander. But if people pick on you and stuff like that, people made fun of the Prophet all the time. And he just, whatever. You know, they made fun of his name. They threw trash on him. They, they tried to kill him several times throughout his life. You know, those things, he, he persevered. You know, he had like the stiff upper lip and he like persevered through them. 
But he was careful, I mean Sayyidina Muhammad, I'm talking about Sasam, he was careful not to do something because he would also weigh what the reputation damage would be in the future. And that's another way, that's something that we can control. So before you do something, like in, in the business world they say, if, if what you're about to do was printed on the front page of the Wall Street Journal tomorrow, would you do it? I mean, it's a silly example, but for like the business person, like that's very important. Meaning like it was, if it was like printed that you did this transaction, would you be happy or would you be ashamed? So sometimes you have to think about if I'm going to do this now, what is it going to be like? What will people say in the future? And sometimes that gets you to reflect, well, maybe I can do it another way. Maybe I should not do it at all. Maybe like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't care and I'm going to do it. So sometimes thinking about your own actions, which you can control in the future. How will that impact your reputation? That's another way of looking at it. Does that make sense? But yeah, you're right. You can't control what people are going to say. And I tell my kids that all the time. I mean, you just people are going to say what they're going to say. You just got to move forward in life. But when there's an opportunity to address our reputation, we should take it seriously. Well, yeah, I mean, we don't want to uh, assassinate anybody's character, but but... More importantly, we can control our own actions. So, you know, it's important that, uh, that we weigh how people might perceive an, an action that could be considered controversial before doing it. Not that that should prevent us. I'm not saying that we should only do something because what of somebody else will say. I'm just trying to find an example that makes it more... Like say, I'll give you an example. I mean, this is not a, a true, but I'm making it up, but it could be true. Like say, I, I get invited uh, for like the White House like Christmas party, if there is a White House Christmas party, okay? Under any normal circumstance, any, any American would be honored that you get invited, you know, by the White House and you go and you're going to take as many selfies as you can and maybe steal some plates and napkins and, you know, whatever. You're going to be excited. But in this climate... Like, I would be very, you know, I would, be, I, would, I would have to really think about that. Uh, what if I got invited to the White House Christmas party as, like, part of the ICCP community? Well, I would want to think about that. What would, you, what would everyone in the community think if they saw my picture with the president? Not that I, I have anything against going, but I would have to weigh that, that consideration. Because if all of a sudden, like the ICCP newsletter, you saw my picture, you know, with like, you know, President Trump like this, people might be like, what's going on? Because we're now we're all supposed to think that he's bad and he hates Muslims and stuff like that. That's, that's what we're being told, right? Which is another part of the problem. But we have to think about, I have to weigh that action because I have a bigger responsibility, which is to the community. It's not just my nefs that I get to go to the White House. Maybe that's like an example, like where I would weigh going versus not, or I would discuss it with the community first. Guys, I want to tell you, you know, you're going to see this picture, or something. I would find a way of doing it. Or if you get invited to go somewhere, you know, a party or a function or, or a trip or something like that, that could be perceived one way, <coughs> you would want to find a way to mitigate that negative perception. So that's, I think, one of the takeaways for us, especially for the younger people. <coughs> Does that kind of make sense?
for that uh, perfect nafsa kamila is it is it is it a part of our prayer or religion or that is a separate path which sufis adopt no this this is islam this is what allah tells us in the quran qad aflaha man zakkaha wa qad khaba man dasaha whoever works on their, their nafs and, and, and builds it and improves it, they are going to succeed. The people that don't, they're going to fail. So we want to be all successes, so we have to work on our nafs. But each person working on their nafs will be different because each person's nafs is different than the other person's nafs. These categories and nafs al-ammara bil-su'ul-mulha, all of these things are the ulama's way of approximating something that is very, very individual for each of us. So how I uh, go about uh, addressing my problems will be different than how you go about addressing your problems, so on and so forth. But this is not like an uh, option. This is, this is the, the heart of the Islamic message in its entirety. The heart of the Prophet's message is to refine human character. Because the Prophet said, I was only sent to rectify human character. So becoming the best version, each one of us, of ourselves, is an individual obligation. And that's what this deen is about. This deen is about, this is what the sunnah of the Prophet is about, how to get there. We call this part of Islam tasawwuf. That's, that's it. Just like we, we're calling this stories of the Prophets. And we call how you make wudu and how you pray sharia or fiqh. They just have, but, but it's all Islam, right? All of these things are Islam. We're here talking about the subject of Islam. But this specific discipline we call tasawwuf. How we improve ourselves. And it's, it's, it's fundamental that we all have some kind of program that we're on to better ourselves. But my program might not be your program. Your program might not be his program. It could be very different. And these are very basic, <coughs> very basic things that we can do to address this. It doesn't have to be very... We don't have to fight like the Braulawis and the Diwantis. We can all get along, inshallah. Right? We can all get along. <laughs> I'm just picking on him. Tasawwuf is Islam, and Islam is Tasawwuf, full stop. Just to make it simple. What is the goal of Islam? It is what the goal of Tasawwuf. And ta'budullah ka'annaka tara. in lam takun tara Like the Prophet answered Gabriel. Sharia, aqidah, these are all tools that we use along this, along this path. But the goal of the Muslim is not to know all of the fiqh of Islam and, and to know memorize all of the uh, portions of the zakah and the inheritance. That's not the goal of Islam. That's the goal of the ulama, the experts in that. But the goal of us as Muslims is the goal of tasawwuf, is that realization of the highest level of the version of ourselves as we can reach. That's the goal of Islam. That's what the Prophet was sent to, uh, uh, to all of us to accomplish. Yes. We have to expend most of our time in this zikr and fikr to achieve that nafse kamila along with sharia. Our concentration is more but only on 
now shared here. So this is a general general view I am speaking. This is very good that we need, yeah, we need very little Sharia, we need a lot of the other stuff. But since I've been teaching this class now, maybe, mashallah, almost five years now, there has been very little Sharia. All of it's, uh, except for the questions sometimes. So, you know, I think we're on the, the way, inshallah, on the way. But, but the Sharia, think of it like, um, it's like a prerequisite. Like when I was in school, I was pre-med. And I actually went to medical school for a year, but uh, it was another story. But some, I had to take certain classes to get into medical school. I had to take this uh, very evil class called organic chemistry, right? But I don't know anything about molecules or compounds. I still have my kit, but I don't even know how to use it. But I had to take this to be able to get into medical school. It was a prerequisite. So on your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are certain prerequisites. One prerequisite is you have to know how to make wudu, you have to know how to stand and pray. But you don't have to, you know, day and night think of all of the uh, questions that the fuqahat talk about in wudu. And you know, that's for very, very few people. That's like the organic chemistry professor. And when you need him, you go to his office hours or her office hours and you can ask. That's very... Ask the people of knowledge if you don't know. So we find them and we ask them. But what we deal with 99.9% of the day is interactions with each other and work and I'm stressed out and how can I really feel like I'm praying and how do I stop doing this and how do I... That's what we, spend, that's what we do, right? All day long. That's what we're thinking about, these type of issues. He said, she said... You know, how can I be humble, but then everyone's taking credit for the work that I did at work, and I want to get ahead. These type of issues, these are the issues that affect us on the inside. That's what Islam is. Only 300 verses of the Qur'an deal with the Sharia. And the rest of the 6,236 verses, the 97% of the ayat deal with this. Of the 60,000 hadith of the Prophet Wasallam, only 1,000, 2,000 speak about the fiqh. Everything else is about... Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, be happy, love one another, love me, give zakah, you know, give charity, all of the akhlaq. So that means the entire majority of Islam is about this subject matter, how to be a good person. So that's what we should spend most of our time worrying about, I, 100%. Don't worry about the sharia. It comes, inshallah. Yeah. No, no, no. So Musa is going to come much later. Remember when we said, we say Bani Israel in the Quran, the people of Israel. Who, who is Israel? Yaqub. So this is the beginning of the Israelites. So Ibrahim's son Isaac has Jacob. So Yaqub, his grandfather was Sidna Ibrahim. So you're talking about, you know, many of us, our grandparents are still alive. 
right? So it's with Yaqub, then starts Bani Israel. And then Yaqub has the many children, the 12 you know, sons. <coughs> the idea being from each of these sons come the tribes of the, the Israelites. Uh, like Yusuf, Benjamin, uh, Ephraim, you know, the different names. So it takes a little bit of time until the Egyptians are like, oh, we can enslave these people. And then, you know, we can use them. And then that's going to come later in the, in the story. So right now it's sort of like, who are these weird people coming from over there kind of thing. Uh, he was a believer in, you know, making his kingdom good, uh, as most rulers are. I don't know what on his insides. But you have to understand, ancient Egyptian history is very long. It's like, you know, several thousands of years, and there are all of these kingdoms and time periods. So God knows when this happened, you know. So this, but we refer to the, le- the rulers of, of this part of Africa, what we call Egypt, as, as Pharaoh. And it's usually like a negative, you know. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Or Musa alayhi salam, you know, he was, <coughs> he grew up in the, in the. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's another like side part of the, of the story, of course, that he saw that he could help. And he helped. He didn't say, oh, this is not like a believer, you know, astaghfirullah, or, you know. But, um, yes, so, and that's generally the attitude of the believer is that when we can help, we help our fellow human being regardless of their belief. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. But I, there's no, like, indication that he was, like, a polytheist. I mean, maybe he, most likely, Firaun, I mean, that was the religion of ancient Egypt. You know, Isis and Horus and... All that kind of stuff. Should we keep going? Yeah? Okay. Are you okay? Are you warm? Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Uh, so next on the list is Job, Ayyub alayhi salam. And just, you know, very shorter story. Uh, most likely, Ayyub alayhi salam was a descendant of uh, either Ibrahim, like from the children of Ibrahim, or from the descendants of Lut salam. But he is from the Abrahamic family. And if I'm not mistaken, there is a grave attributed to Ayyub in Oman, in the Sultanate of Oman, in the bottom right of the Arabian Peninsula. I believe so. Or maybe that was Luqman. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he was an Israelite, okay, so he's part of the Hebrew prophets. And uh, Ayyub alayhi salam is our example of patience. Because Ayyub alayhi salam was given, you know, great wealth and, and he had family and children and, you know, he was well to do. And then uh, suddenly he lost everything. He starts losing his worldly wealth, he starts losing his family, and he starts losing his health. And for several years, he is, you know, like degenerating. He has like some like degenerative disease in which the only thing that works is his heart and his, his tongue. Meaning that every physical ailment he has and, and he's like rotting away except for his blessed wife who continues to serve him throughout his sickness. And 
Ayyub السلام, he never uh, gives up and he never uh, curses and he's never why or me or anything like that. And then, you know, everything starts turning around and he gains his health back and then he gains his wealth and so on and so forth. So that's like the story of Ayyub. But what's interesting <coughs> about Job and even in the Western world, in the, in the, Christ, in the Judeo-Christian world, we say the patience of Job, it's an expression, is that everybody except his wife, everybody leaves him. Everybody gives up on him. The more and more he loses from the dunya stuff, the more and more people leave him. And that's unfortunately one of the ways of the world. Is it, some, There's an Arabic um, expression, is this even working now? Tarif, man. He gave the khutbah, now it's all dead. <clears throat> See, that's why I give the short khutbah, so I can make the battery last. Uh, uh, the Arabic expression is, it's like one of these like Aesop proverbs. Uh, you only really know your friends when you hit hard times. Because when you have uh, wealth and status and all of this, it's very easy to have quote-unquote friends. Everyone wants to be your friend and everyone wants to be with you and everyone wants to hang out with you and stuff like that. But when you go through a calamity, <coughs> it kind of like shakes the people around you and the people in the periphery, they sort of fall away. And the people that are left, those are your real friends. That's your real community. That's your real family. And that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's one of the sunnahs of this, this world. That's how human behavior is. And you, uh, Ayyub is, is a prophetic example of that because the prophets, they, their archetypes and the, Sayyidina Muhammad said the prophets are the ones that have the most, are most tested. So we're tested but like in minor ways. This is like very dramatic. He loses everything. He loses all of his wealth. He loses his home. He loses all of his family. Everyone around him dies. And then he's like rotting away in like degenerate disease. Like very graphic, Right? So Allah gives us these examples and these, these poor people had to go through these major dramatic uh, changes for us to benefit from this lesson. Is that where our attachment is, our attachment should be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ayyub salam, he never questioned Allah's qadr. His wife would say, like, don't, why don't you, you're a man of God, why don't you ask Allah for something. He's like, I lived 70 years in this great greatness. It's nothing for me to live 70 years like this. This is the least I can do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like that was his response. Whereas for us, <clears throat> thank you, for us sometimes when we have like a little pinch, we, we sort of give up. <clears throat> so Ayyub salam is this example, this great example of patience. That... Everything that we have that Allah has given us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can also take away or can lessen. Right? Can lessen a little bit. And in that is a test of where our attachment is. Allah says, We're going to test you in your wealth. And your family, we're going to lessen some of your sustenance a little bit and give glad tidings to those that are patient, Allah says. So are we attached to the things that we have? Or are we attached to the, the one who has given us these things? 
Because if our perspective is that everything that we have comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you know that you are in safe hands. You know that you have no uh, power. La hawla la quwwata illa billah. You have no power to affect anything. That everything you have is just, you're in a, we're in an abundance of, 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 of uh, greatness and of gifts and, and bounty from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you look at things from that perspective, when, you, when you're pinched a little bit, you can ride the storm. You're like, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It could have been worse. You never give up because you know that Allah has given you and Allah can also take. So Ayyub salam, he's the ultimate example of that. Again, in this very dramatic way. Everybody leaves him except his wife. He has no more friends, nothing. Everybody leaves him. But he never gives up. And it's only like a few years that he's in this like bad state and then everything swings back. And he's grateful and he's thankful. <clears throat> So the point is of this, or one of the points of the story of, of Job salam is about attachment and faith. And it teaches us also about human behavior, about how sometimes people are attached to the things and their attachment to us is through those things. And the people that know this uh, very well are people that are very wealthy. People that are very wealthy, they have endless friends and endless, you know, <coughs> social life and, and pe- because people always want something from people that have something. But if that person that was very wealthy would, would lose something or, or, uh, or be in some kind of trouble, most of those people would fall away. Of course, I'm sure everyone has, has heard of what is happening in, in uh, Saudi Arabia with these, these people that have been arrested. And I'm, this is not a political statement. I just want to draw an example. One of the articles that, that came out, I think it was in Bloomberg, was specifically about Prince Al-Walid ibn Talal, who's this very famous investor. You know, he's invested in like Twitter and, and you know, these type of companies. Where are all of his friends? Where are all, where are all of these other uber-wealthy billionaire people that have praised him and, and, and helped, you know, co-invested with him and now that he's, you know, hanging upside down in the Ritz-Carlton. I don't know who that is. Oh, Miskeen, right? This is human nature. I mean, what, what are you going to do? I'm, it's not a political statement. I'm just, this is an example. And this is what the article was about this. I think it's like, where is, where is Prince Al-Walid's friends now? Or like, why are they silent or something like that? And subhanAllah, I read this article as I was preparing this story. So yeah, so look, even now. You know, when, when wealthy people lose something, <laughs> it's, they're, not, they're not popular anymore. And that's not to make us uh, be negative about people. It just it, it reminds us that our attachment to, should be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the point, not to the things. And if you care for somebody, you should care for that person regardless of what they have. And be, each one of, you, each one of us should be a genuine friend. Not the, what is it, the fair weather friend. <clears throat> That's the story of, of uh, Ayyub alayhi salam. Any questions about that? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Okay, just one more, because the next, after this, is uh, next week we'll do Musa alayhi salam. It's going to take us a little bit of time. So next on the list is uh, Jonah, Yunus alayhi salam, who was... <coughs> 
sent to the people in Nineveh, in northern Iraq, what is today in northern Iraq. And Yunus السلام, was, uh, as most of the Anbiya were ridiculed and given a very hard time by his people, and his people didn't believe, and they rejected him. So he said, okay, I'm leaving. And he said, Look, if, you, if you don't uh, listen to me, in three days I'm out of here and you're going to see what's going to happen. So he got fed up and he just left. <laughs> so he left and he's, you know, on his way and then he finds himself on a boat and he's just, you know, he khalas, he's just going to live out his life somewhere else. And then the boat, there's like a big storm and they have to get rid of some of the passengers because uh, the boat's going to sink. So they draw lots and he keeps drawing the lot that he has to go overboard. So he jumps off the, off the ship because if he doesn't, the other people are going to kill him or you know, something like that. So he jumps off the ship <coughs> and then he gets swallowed by a whale. And when he's swallowed by the whale, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees that the whale will not uh, consume him you know, completely. Uh, the acid of the stomach of the whale is not going to, to uh, lead to his demise, but he's going to hurt. I mean, this was not a very pleasant experience. And after a couple of days, the whale throws Jonah up. And when Jonah is thrown up, you know, the Quran says he's thrown up in a bad state, saqim. He was very, I mean, imagine being in all of that enzyme and all of that, whatever's inside the stomach of a whale for a couple of days. It's pretty bad. So he. He, you know, he got pinched also like Ayub alayhi salam. So he, he gets thrown up and he's in <coughs> bad shape. Alhamdulillah, he's recovered. But the, the point of the story of Jonah is that when he's in the belly of the whale, he leaves us with this jewel. He leaves us with this dua that is enshrined in the Qur'an. لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت There's no God but you. Subhanak, praise be to you, inni kuntum min al-dhalimeen, indeed I was from the wrongdoers. And this dua, we should all learn the dua, because it's a very powerful one, we should, we should use it frequently. This is a dhikr that we could use, to use it frequently. Because the Prophet ﷺ told us that in this dua is Allah's supreme name, that if he is called by this name, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will answer. And the Qur'an says that, when, that Jonah is not in just the belly of the whale, but he's in the belly of the whale, in the darkness of the sea, in the darkness of the night. So Allah says, Dhulumat, many layers of darkness. You know, there are parts of the sea that have never seen light at all. That there's a point in the, you know, I don't know all the proper technical language, there's a point down under there where no light can penetrate anymore, and it's absolute darkness. And they tried now to go and you know, send cameras there and there's like a whole other world. Everyone's like, Whoa, subhanAllah, where's all this been? All, all, we thought that there were fish, there's other creatures and there are living beings down there that have never seen light, that have never witnessed anything from the light. So Allah, see the, the, the power of the Qur'an. Allah says, Dhulumat, the darkness of the belly of the whale with all that goo and acid and whatever's in the belly of a whale, I don't want to know. In the darkness of the sea, because the whale is like deep, a deep diver, and then the darkness of the night. 
that Jonah called out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, La ilaha al-an subhanak inni kuntu min al Not that he sinned. We don't, we don't, our perspective, we don't say that the Anbiya sinned. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't like give him the green light to leave his people. He didn't do anything wrong. They disbelieved, they didn't li- listen to the message, but there was no, okay, leave. Allah didn't say leave like he told Noah to leave. Or like he told Ibrahim to leave. Or like he told Lut alayhi salam to leave. <coughs> so he interpreted that as like a, a snafu with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that absolute darkness, in darkness, in darkness, in that absolute weakness, when he, when he felt his own humanity, when he felt that there really is no power, no quwa, no ability except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he calls to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with this dua, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives him, and you know, the whale spits him out, and, and, and he moves on. And, and the Prophet ﷺ highly praised Yunus salam. He said, not, do not let any of you ever think that you are better than Yunus. Allah refers to him in the Qur'an of the highest level of the mursaleen, of the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in Islam, there's this never-ending quest to find what is Allah's supreme name. Like what is that name that if you make dua by that name, Allah will answer everything. And everyone has an answer for this. Some people will say it's this. Some people will say it's just Allah. Some, some people will say Al-Hayul Qayyum. Some people will say... So there's a, there's a never-ending literature of the ulama trying to uh, articulate what is the actual name which leads most people to say most of the ulama meaning to say that each one of us we have a supreme name that works with us because as i was saying earlier how we're all different that each one of us we have a name or a combination of names or something that if we say it Purely the way Yunus said it, that is when we will unlock this, you know, the dua will be answered. And in from some respect, that's like our quest in life is to find out what is that, what is that, you know, <laughs> name for, for us that we can say it and we can be free. It's called Ismail Adam. Ismailah, Allah's supreme name. There's no like consensus. And it's one of those things that Allah has hidden. Like Allah has hidden Laylatul Qadr. We don't know exactly when Laylatul Qadr is, so every day in Ramadan we're ready. Allah has hidden the saintly person amongst creation. We don't know who amongst us is the saint. I remember one time, let me tell you this story that happened to me this Ramadan, okay? But without any names. I had somebody who called me from another country, he, he's studying with me, and he was telling me something about his mother, okay? Uh, that his mother... Um, this is like a good family, right? And he said that his mother is somebody um, who um, uh, she's a chain smoker, and as a result, she can't fast. So what should she do? And I was uh, that was a really bizarre question. And I remember I don't know I kind of like came gave some answer, but I remember wallahi I remember feeling inside that's a lame excuse. I swear, Wallah al-Azim, I swear, the minute that thought crossed my mind, I came over, this was like the first few days of Ramadan, the most unbelievable sense of uh, nausea. I was in the car, I had to pull over, I was sweating, my, my wife was going to call the ambulance, I, I turned pale, and I was sweating, and I could feel like my heart palpitations, and like I was 
I was gonna, I was, I, I was gonna have to break my fast. I don't know. And I remember in the like, like Eunice, in the middle of that, I said, I, I'm sorry. I should have not said that about this lady. And the minute I felt like that, the the feeling went away. Okay, but because we're stupid, the same thing happened to me again the same day before iftar. Because you know the day was long, and I kept thinking about this. I was like, man, that's a lame excuse. I mean, I mean, come on, you. Really, try the patch, I don't know, something. And the same, wallah, I swear to Allah, the same thing happened to me, this was like five minutes before iftar, but I was with my mother, and my mother, you know, she's very dramatic, and she thought that I was going to die, and you know, and the same thing happened to me, and I broke my fast, and I said, Allah, never again, this lady, there's something about this lady. So after this incident, I, I asked my student, I asked him about his mother, and you know, she's always, you know, doing Qiyam al-Layl, and she's reading all of this awrad, and she, I know, she reads the whole Qur'an every week, and, and I found out that there's this other side to the story that I just didn't know about. And I had inside judged what I had heard. So Allah hides the saintly person in Korea. You, you would never think that this lady is a saintly person. But she dreams of the Prophet all the time, and she has this, can I, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's bounty, He bestows it on whom He wills. So Allah hides these things. I don't know what made me remember the story. But Allah hides these things. So Allah also hides the supreme name. So that we worship Allah by all of His names. So Allah it leaves a little bit unknown for us so that we work hard. We don't know when Laylatul Qadr is, so every day in Ramadan we're, we're attentive. Allah doesn't tell us who amongst us is a saintly person, so we deal with respect with everybody. Regardless of what presents. Even if they're not Muslim. You don't know. Right? You don't know what's on somebody's inside. Right? Maybe we're not really the believer, but somebody else is. We don't, wallahi, we don't know. And this story that I'm telling you, I mean, it was very, these things don't happen to me often, but it was so uh, dramatic, twice in one day. And you'd think I would, you know, learn my lesson, but twice in the same day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves things hidden from us so that we're always attentive, that we're always respectful. So the name we don't know necessarily, but... Because of this is in the Qur'an, this is one of the du'as that we say, we, we worship Allah with this, La ilaha illa ant, subhanak inni kuntum min al-dhalimeen. And in the sujood, we should make this often. Because we're always shortcoming, we're always, you know, falling off the mark. We could look it up. <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> um. Is it in Surah Al-Anbiya? Of course, when you want to find something fast, you're not going to find it. <clears throat> so I'll find it uh, before... Um, before... Yeah, I tried that. 70 Anbiya? 87? Okay, 87 Surah Al-Anbiya. Sheikh, a question. Uh, <clears throat> the descendants of Israel 
uh, well, after the Prophet Wasallam, they're called Muslims. Um, but uh, we, we say that they are, they have different names. There's Bani Kanana is another one. After some of the descendants of Ismail, السلام, the, the rest of the descendants are named after them. Um, but the Arabs proliferate uh, horizontally as well. So the line of the Prophet وسلم, going back to Ismail, السلام, <coughs> that line would be, you know, uh, Bani Kanana or Bani Adnan. Uh, these names, depending on which person in the lineage you trace the lineage back to. So in the Quran, when it addresses Yahweh and Israel, does it address the descendant of Isaac only? <coughs> I mean, yes, yes, and no. So the, the Quran for us is for us. It's it's eternal, uncreated message for for us. It's our message. So. There's going to be a context of that verse, you know, maybe a reminder to the people of Israel, this, that, or the other thing, but it's also a reminder for us, because the message of the, of the Qur'an is, is not just for us, but it's for all of humanity. So it's, uh, and the Qur'an for us is like one sentence. It's not like, you know, parts. The parts are, is our way of organizing it so that we can memorize it and we can read it. But from the theological point of view, the Qur'an is like one sentence, like one statement that's been made from the divine to humanity. So you have to put it all together for you to understand or to begin to understand. But if you take something out of it, then you're going to get like Mik Islam or like Islam light or Islam zero or like negative Islam or like ISIS or something like that. You get something that's not Islam. But to get Islam, the, one, the thing that we are here to talk about, you've got to look at the whole thing. Anything else? I think it's prayer time. Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa'alam.